Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast number five. So we have some changes here on the show. One is a new microphone and a new camera. It's the Logitech C920. So my voice sounds a little bit deeper and hopefully the video is sharper with the new webcam. And you'll notice it's widescreen. I didn't realize the camera I was using prior to this was not widescreen and had the little black uh, box area fillers on the side. So um, we can have a larger image here of what's happening in the safety docs uh, little studio. Um, I am recording this at 720 and I'm not doing the full 1080 uh, just because I think it makes me look too far away. And hey, you want to be close up here with the safety dock. Um, I am going to be adding a blue Yeti microphone soon. And also the CPU is going through a number of updates, including new video cards, a new motherboard, and just it's going to have better production. So we're going to keep uh, increasing the technical quality of the show. Now we just got to increase the quality of the host guy, right? This guy right here. I'm trying to do that, uh, make the show better and more relevant for you. Um, let's take a look in the background. First of all, I do have a, a new addition back there. Uh, for those of you listening on SoundCloud and, of course, on the 405 Media, um, I'm just going to describe it. I do have a 20 inch by 30 inch um, sign that was made and it has four images on it. One is the safety dock, one is the 405 Media ISS 24-7, and then also Sprigio. So we have a safety dock and then we have the supporters of the show. So that sign is in the background, of course, with the uh, Wisconsin Badgers. And there is an image uh, back there of me um, in four different uh, color schemes. And actually that was done by an alternative school uh, student for me back about nine years ago. Um, just had done that and given it to me. Very nice. And I'm going to probably move things around a little bit in the background until I get them all kind of settled. But uh, you can notice that we do have some changes here. My voice, I think, sounds a little deeper with the current mic, and then we'll see what happens here with the Blue Yeti once that uh, arrives. But uh, anyway, we have a terrific uh, show for today. I'm going to focus um, on a term called leakage detection, and it involves basically the residue, what's out there, how to identify um, attacks, school threats, uh, things to that nature ahead of time before sentinel events occur. And I'm going to talk um, toward the end of our, our podcast about uh, a public service announcement that was put out um, having, it's called Evan, and it was through, I believe, a coalition of um, Sandy Hook uh, families. And it's really well done. And it talks, it, it, it focuses on the, the signs of some 
someone or you know a student that might be contemplating harm to self or harm to others but it's very subtle uh, the first time through when you watch the video and then afterwards when it's pointed out to you where those um, specific indicators are it it really brings to light what I call um, sense making which is a, a framework used by Carl Weich, um, or Carl Weich's. So it's basically noticing the changes from the everyday routine, the changes from the flux. So it's very well done. And I worked this summer with uh, David Opst, who um, is a movie producer, Pulitzer Prize winning author. And I was helping him to write and then direct a, a school intruder film and it was fascinating for me to watch the Sandy Hook PSA, which is about three minutes long, um, because I was able to kind of look at the entire, the, the layout of what was going on. It was just how I was trained by David. So I did start to see what they were trying to accomplish there right away. Um, but it is something you have, to, you have to train your mind to look for those types of things. And that's where I don't think we, we do enough in schools is training students to identify um, what is different from the everyday happenings, a change in the flux, and then also the threat input system of how to report that, then going into the threat assessment system. And, and those just um, are, are not very cohesive. So I go back and reflect on the um, podcast that we had last last week podcast number four with Scott Myers out of ISS 24-7 look and, and they do large venue security and large venue instant management an incredible uh, company system and Scott was able to share uh, just how advanced they've become you know with with the apps and their notifications of various uh, subgroups to respond to, you know, if it could, if it's an NFL stadium with 80,000 people and somebody's having chest pains, how everything is video documented, timestamp, things like that. Um, and yet that is so far advanced from most of the school systems that I personally see when I work with schools uh, that still use models uh, for, you know, for example, threat input of tell an adult and models such as just, you know, documentation of writing some notes down on the yellow notepad and things like that, and not time stamping and things like that. So we, we had great feedback here on the show from um, ISS 24-7 and the presentation that, that Scott gave. What, what I thought about a lot after that show was, you know, when we go to large um, venue events, sporting events, um, arenas, things like, like that, you notice security that's that's overt, you know, when you walk through and you're being, you know, you're being checked if you have anything um, on you, but you don't notice all the stuff that goes on in the background to keep the venue safe. And I think that's evidence just of how effective ISS 24-7 as the leading model is. And that it's so effective you don't you don't even notice how how good it is and and that is just that's that's an accolade to iss 24 7. Um, it's not something that you're going to leave and, and be thinking about the whole time of of that entire um, blanket of of safety that uh, was was encompassing that that stadium or venue uh, but it was there and it was redundant and 
again, a very good system, and I was glad Scott talked about that. Looking ahead to next week, uh, I'll be doing an interview with Jennifer Fritton, and Jennifer has a rescue dog. She will talk about, uh, first of all, delineating what is a rescue dog, um, what is a therapy dog, what is a, a comfort dog, what is a guide dog, but in her capacity with her rescue dog, she has contacted at times, uh, here's an example just recently to go out and um, uh, I believe a four-year-old boy with autism was was missing, wandered from, from his residence. So then she was contacted and joined with her group. And then they went out and looked for this child and did find the child and returned the child. Um, but there are... That it's you, you have all of these different terms, guide dog, comfort dog, rescue dog, but we'll talk really about what a rescue dog is. And from a school perspective, I want to talk a little bit too about um, what Jennifer and I, when we, we talked about you know doing this interview, she said there are people who also self-dispatch. So they hear that somebody might be lost um, and then they, they report to that scene and really that needs to go through the authorities. Um, but Jennifer will have, I, I think, just some incredible insight into what it is to be a, a trainer, what it is to be on call, you know, 24 seven um, with a rescue dog and realistically what the expectations are and typically then what a rescue dog does. I mean, most of us might think if a building collapses, a rescue dog is, is, is there trying to find um, anybody who might still be in the, in the building, which yeah, it could happen, but more often than not, it's it's the scenarios like I talked about where somebody um, maybe with dementia or somebody um, with autism wanders from a residence and then um, needs to be located. So that will be next week with Jennifer. That will be a live uh, interview where I will bring the Canon camcorder that I purchased about six months ago. And, uh, and do that. And so we'll have that as a live um, on-site interview. That is an interesting camcorder. Uh, it's uh, HFR 700. And I read the reviews on it before I bought it. I bought it, it had just come out. It was an upgrade of a previous model. Um, and I mean, it wasn't that expensive, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it sounded really, really great. And I, re the la I don't have a lot of experience with camcorders because I, I didn't have a camcorder. Uh, the last camcorder I remember was back in the 1980s that came in literally a suitcase. My parents had bought a camcorder, um, and I think it was for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And this thing today is, or, you know, it'd be comparable today to what you would see television, you know, uh, reporters <laughs> and and the crews carrying. I mean, it, it it was that big. This thing was a monster, um, and and it had great audio, uh, but the video was absolutely ho horrible on this thing. And I do have a couple videos up on YouTube. Uh, I was coaching basketball back in um, the let's see, it would have been um, right around you know late 1980s, early very early 1990s. And my mom would come to the games and, and record them. And a couple of the championship games, which we won, um, I should say my, my, the team I coached won, um, my mom had videotaped the games. And, and even with the 
best enhancement software I have. I actually had somebody professionally convert it from the VHS onto to DVD, and, and he said, I, I did all of these things and, and whatever. This is like the best I can get it. But he said, the, the odd thing is like the audio is awesome. And it is, it's, it's like perfect. <laughs> and, uh, and, but yeah, it's, 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 but you know, it is what it is. So, but yeah, you know, it's just a typical handheld camcorder, my new one. And I've used it. I do set up differently in here. I also teach college classes. So I have a fireplace over there and I'll set up what's called fireside chats where then every week I'll do kind of an update on, on the course and talk about some of the, the things that have evolved during the week, some of the student comments, things like that. Um, and I also, once in a while, we'll, we'll do some of those things like at different locations outside or whatever. But um, I took this thing on vacation this, this summer and the thing is, the the screen, so it doesn't have a viewfinder, it has the three-inch LCD screen on it. And it's 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 like a mirror. I mean, any amount of sun, and, and it just completely just washes it out. I mean, it's like you're just looking at this glassy reflection. And yet, like... <laughs> Nowhere in the in the reviews or, uh, you know, the people who have bought this and then they, they write up about it and things like that. I mean, it's rated pretty high. I mean, some people say, like, oh, the video is kind of great. Well, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's people say that about everything. But but like the, the thing that stands out to me is like you couldn't see. I mean, you're taking your best guess. You're aiming this thing in a direction. I mean, and you can buy these little hoods that they sell to go over. But this is like a known issue. So I actually researched this. And I'm thinking, first of all, like how is Canon and, and Sony and how how is there not a solution for this? Uh, you know, besides having to buy this aftermarket hood that you assemble um, to to go over this thing, which then doubles the size of the camcorder. It's kind of goofy, um, but it wasn't in the reviews. I mean, I wouldn't have bought it if like a couple people would have said, "Hey, it's a great camcorder," but like you totally, it's it's like looking in a mirror where the sun is aimed at the mirror and shining back at your face. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's just crazy. So I, I have, I do have some interesting video I took this summer. My dad and I did a father-son trip up to Superior. I'm going to talk about that a little bit here in the intro. Um, and I, and I took a lot of video with it. Uh, one of the, one of the scenes we went to, um, uh, Hibbing. Hibbing, Minnesota, where they have a massive open pit iron mine. And uh, I, I think it's, it's one of the biggest in the world. And it was, you know, like a significant source of, of iron for um, military manufacturing during World War II. So we were there on a day. So this would have been in late June of this past summer. And uh, beautiful day, beautiful day. And we were there on a day when they were doing a blast. So, you know, it was probably a, easily a mile away. Uh, but you, you have this area, there's this like a little gift center and things like that. And, and then there's people who used to work at the, at the mine and they're there. Um, you know, so they've got cameras set up and it's a big thing, you know, and Hibbing's not a very big community. So when they have a blast, they really have a blast. Like a lot of people come out, hey, let's have a blast. Um, so I had the camcorder set up in the general direction of where this would would be, and uh, it was interesting. They had a plane fly over a couple times, and and one of the guys who'd work there 
year, you know, years ago. So the reason they do that is they make sure that there isn't um, changes in air pressure because the blast, instead of going straight up and dissipating, if there was a change in air pressure, um, it could basically kind of like hit a wall and then be thrown back toward the ground and do damage to equipment, things like that. So that was kind of interesting. A lot of people had, had fascinating stories. There was a lady next to me who had worked at the mine, and uh, she she was probably like seven years old, super nice lady, had a really sophisticated camera, like on this this tripod and had this all aimed at. There were little holes in a, in a steel chain link fence. There were these little openings where you could focus out of um, so you could see what was going on. And she was next to me. And, and literally, like two minutes before the blast, her camera dies, her battery dies. <laughs> and she's so, I, and I have this on my recording, you know, where you can listen. She's like, I can't believe it. Like the battery, and she didn't have a spare. And so she gave up her spot because it was pointless at that point. And then I moved my camera and readjust it. And, and I have, have a really neat, I captured it just by chance. I mean, you know, by aiming it in the direction and put it up. And, and it's funny because it's actually one of my most viewed YouTube clips. And all it is, is it's about 12 minutes of, you know, just kind of staring out. And I, I focus in on one of the big trucks loading something these huge monster dump trucks, um, you know, tires like 20 feet tall. That's not really an exaggeration, I mean, um, to get the ore out. But, uh, but yeah, it seems like a lot of people, you know, capture that. So I, have, I probably have like an audience in Hibbing. Um, but yeah, that my, my dad and I went up to, to see, or not to see that, we were just up there by chance and we stopped in Hibbing and right away somebody said, hey, there's, are you here for the mine blast today? So yeah, yeah that's, you got it. So um, very interesting if you're ever up there, one, two, is that they moved the entire community um, away from where the mine was. Uh, so, because the, the community was initially built on where, where the, the richest iron deposits were. But if you go up there, there are still city streets and sidewalks, um, and everything else is completely gone um, near, near the mine. It's very, very eerie. And they added pictures, actually, in so you can see what was there like you know this used to be a school this used to be a union hall and all of these things like were in these locations but that in itself is fascinating to see like these foundations you know from a hundred you know years ago in this completely abandoned town and they i mean there's still like some some street lamps um and it's not like these things are like worn down or anything it's just um so i mean they're still they're, they're still fully intact and in sidewalks and stuff like that you know from a hundred years ago so I don't know, just just kind of interesting, but uh, but yeah, um, definitely have to have a high level of safety when you work in a when it, work in a job like that. So um, I want to um, first of all here, not first of all, I guess I already got in a little bit of that story with my dad, but I want to give a shout out to the supporters here of the Safety Doc podcast. And that would be the 405 Media out of Los Angeles. Uh, John and the 405 Media uh, with a very um, interesting lineup of um, different shows, ranging from news to introspection to economy, um, you know, to, to legal, a lot of perspective, a lot of guests. I'm very happy to be on the 405, uh, 9 o'clock. Pacific time, p.m., Monday through Thursday. Uh, I encourage you to listen to the 405. Um, 
and take advantage of all that the 405 has to offer. Personally, I, I don't I don't subscribe to the to the what would I guess be the mainstream media anymore. I don't I don't watch the news. I I mean I couldn't even really tell you what time the news is on. Is on nine nine thirty time? I don't know. I don't watch it anymore. I don't listen in my car. I listen to podcasts. I download podcasts. Ton of podcasts. I actually had to get a bigger micro SD card. It's amazing. You know those things are the you know half the size of your tiny pinky, and uh, to just because I download so many. Um, podcasts to listen to, um, you know, which are all uh, informational. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, a post-doctorate study as I'm driving in my car to and from work, um, listening to a lot of actually of the people uh, that have shows on the 405 and then also um, other media shows um, such as Stefan Molyneux, a uh, big fan of, of his uh, presentation. So, um, but yes, our sponsors, I'm going to say supporters, uh, the 405 Media, ISS 24-7, ISS 24-7 of Coral Springs, Florida, um, Scott Myers and his staff keeping people safe at large venues, including about a, a third of the NFL, um, NASCAR, Major League Baseball, uh, shopping malls and and just other large venues, NCAA and so forth, continue to rapidly expand. Really, second uh, second to none. Absolutely, an incredible system. In my opinion, needs to be in um, K twelve public schools for incident management, especially management when you have multiple schools within a district. If you have seventy schools in in your district. You'd have the capability of monitoring at a central location the events that are happening at all 70 schools and that can include and it's very important nowadays even to include you know was there a medical event was um a child had a seizure um allergic reaction something like that ems was called when we were called and that could all just feed into a data system things like that or if there was a lockdown or what it could you know would be and timestamp it. And then they, they have a great analytics piece, which Scott talked about during our previous podcast. So again, I, I'm going to I'm going to be writing up a piece, and I do have uh, some book contracts, and one of the books is going to focus on leakage detection um, systems, and then also looking at um, looking at your analytics for safety and safety reflection. There's a process called applied decision analysis comes from the military where you go back and you look at an event that happened like a safety event and then you you play through it step by step and you're looking not to judge the effectiveness of the decision making because that, that makes people defensive but what you do is you identify where were the points when we could have made different decisions? What decisions were on the table? What were the heuristics, the processes we went through to narrow down those decisions? And that's where you really learn because people will, first, there's a tendency to narrow decisions extremely fast, like to go and, you know, like here's our two options, when really, you know, you probably have 20 options or 30 options, um, but, you, but you narrow those down. You see, you see this all the time too in these, these mottos of, um, uh, uh, run, hide, fight, you know, things like that for, you know, what do you do in an active shooter situation? Well, uh, I, I think there's, there's a missing first step 
um, to that. And I talked about that when I worked with uh, David when we produced the movie this summer, or when he produced the movie and, and I was giving content um, direction and, and, and writing with him and directing on it. But um, the first thing you do, the, the very first thing you do is you take that second or two to evaluate your environment. You look around and see what's happening around you, what your context is, because you might be running directly into the path of, of harm's way, especially in a school, for example, um, or any interior location. It's hard to identify where a gunshot is coming from, for one, um, but you might overlook a very, very obvious um, better option. You know, let's say, you know, that you're, you're 10 feet away from, from an exit that could get you, you know, out of the building, um, and you're two feet away from, you know, a, a room that you could go in and, and, you know, lock yourself in. What's your, you know, what's your, what's your better option? Well, again, you know, it depends upon what the context is, but you might not even be trained to look and say, hey, I'm standing right by this door. I can just, boom, I can be out of here. And um, so that's something that the first step should always be to take that second or two to evaluate your surroundings. Um, I remember years ago when I was receiving my uh, firefighter training, and, and one of the very first things that they that they taught you was when you when you get off of the fire engine, um, before your foot hits the ground, the first thing you do is, you know, you, you don't pull up and throw the door open and, and you know, bolt off the, the vehicle and, and, you know, then do whatever you have to do to get equipment or whatever. But the first thing you do is, is you look and, for example, is there a down power line? Um, you know, is there some talk, you know, is there some chemical, whatever, what are you stepping out into? Because there have been firefighters <clears throat> who have stepped onto, you know, a live wire. And, and so that's missing from these, these types of systems is that that very first step, which is a couple seconds to assess that environment. Um, so I'm going to take a drink of water here. I don't have pause capability. This does say Gatorade, uh, but it's not. It's just water. One of the things here is it is Wisconsin and it is winter. This is my studio. It is in a basement. Um, it's still not bad for temperature. I do have the fireplace going. It will get really cold down here before long because this is not heated. Um, but what happens is the humidity like drops this time of year. So everything dries out, including then, you know, voice and stuff like that. So um, it's very important to have a hydrated safety dock because a dehydrated safety dock benefits nobody. Um, but yeah, so, you know, just some some kind of stories to get us going there. Uh, ISS 24-7. And finally, we have uh, Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, Sprigio.com, Joe out of Santa Barbara, um, working very diligently with schools in, I believe, 25 states right now and growing with uh, bullying reporting software. And he has a strong analytics uh, background that goes with that system. And also, Joe is getting together a number of professionals in the field. He just recently 
brought together, I believe, uh, 10 of the top middle school principals for a summit just on the issues that are facing middle school students regarding um, safety, um, harassment, harassment reporting. So that's the way to do it, you know, to have those focus groups, those forums. And ISS 24-7, Scott talked about that too with his users groups where they come down the who's who of the business and they talk about what, what works well in the system, what they'd like to see in the system, kind of brainstorm, but really have that qualitative process. And you can tell that those are the companies that really want to make their service and their product better because they're not going behind the scenes and then rolling out some update for you that you might not want at all. <laughs> and you're like, why did you change this? I mean, it was it was fine. Uh, but what they're doing is they're they're getting that industry input and they're doing it in that qualitative way, which I think is so important. We don't do enough of that. Um, also in a school setting, you know, where we survey um, survey teachers, if we do that at all, like on safety and culture and things like that. Well, it's one thing to to survey. It's one thing to sit down with people and have a discussion and then to have a qualitative analysis of what was said during that discussion. So. Um, again, but thank you to the 405 Media, and please tune into the Safety Doc. You can subscribe. I do have a um, IS or not an ISS. I have a um, RSS feed on SoundCloud, and on Twitter it is at SafetyPhD at SafetyPhD. I have um, just incredible anal analytics. I mean, my my Twitter impressions, uh, profile visits, things like that have shot through the roof in the last few weeks um, and I've gained a number of followers but please also consider following me at safety PhD um, and you can do that on Twitter so getting to some of our anecdotal stories um, the so it's uh, we were able to get out our Christmas uh, lights last week and then we had a snow so we got them out on Saturday and, and ran the cords to where everything would go. And then it snowed Saturday night, uh, not a lot, like four inches. And it was heavy. And I took my snowblower out and it really like just it's chugging along, just barely kicking stuff out and getting clogged up. So it doesn't handle that well. You got to have, it'll, we're supposed to get eight inches of snow Saturday night and, it, and it's going to be like 20 degrees. So it'll have no problem with that, but the slushy stuff, yeah. Um, but I have, I ordered a 150 foot rope light, a red rope light. It had a 50 footer and I ordered a 150 foot. We have a maple tree in the front and I kind of swirl it around. It's kind of a neat effect. Uh, and it was supposed to arrive like a week ago and it didn't. So what's happening now is I'm going to be putting this thing up Saturday and I am having my oldest daughter help me. Um, she is going to be feeding the, the rope light up to me. I'll be on a ladder working this thing around the tree. Um, but it's going to be like 20 degrees out and it's going to be a little windy and low humidity. And then that night we get the eight inches of snow. So I'm thinking, I'm not really looking forward to going out there and, and doing this. It's going to be that cold out. But um, I, I watched this, vi the, uh, this video on modern marvels. Um, and I, I did that. You can go online and, and find the Modern Marvels video videos. But it talked about the uh, Alaska Highway built during World War II. And some of the workers were saying, you know, it'd be 35 degrees below zero and 40 mile an hour winds. And you worked with your bare hands because that was the only way you'd have enough dexterity to, you know, 
adjust the various nuts and bolts and things on the equipment and whatever. And, you know, you just got used to it. Something, okay, 35, 20 above, it's a 55 degree difference and I can make it work. But I'm like, I don't know. So, you know, in my younger days, this wouldn't have been anything. I would have taken that on and been, yes. Now I'm like, ooh, like questioning, does the rope like go out this year or not? Plus the old safety dock climbing up on a ladder and I'm going to have to really wear like my shoes that have the absolute most, most grip really be safe when I'm out there doing that. Um, so yes, Modern Marvels will be a new episode. It's going to be the safety dock putting out his 150 foot rope light in 20 degree weather. So that'll probably be released next year. They'll run it back to back with the Alaska, uh, highway during World War II. So people will be like, Hey, this is like just as interesting. Look at this guy putting this rope light up. How's that thing even bending? So, um, I have new software I'm using. Uh, I bought Camtasia 9 and I like it. Um, but it is, it, again, it's a learning curve. So, you know, for those of you who watch this in YouTube, it seems like obviously the 405 media is my primary audience and then um, there's a number of you who do like to watch this on youtube i think to see you know to to see me to see someone deliver the content and then not as many people follow on soundcloud so i'm hoping um, people will do that um also that my i'll get more subscribers on soundcloud um but i will be editing this together and i did edit a really neat intro and had somebody um work with me on that so that will be with this podcast. Um, um, so yeah, that's that's cool. So looking forward to your blue yeti, 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 yeti. So going back to to the summer of of 2016, and my dad and I going up to Superior. So kind of reminds me a little bit of what Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he goes with his 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 dad Sean Connery. So uh, my my dad and I both went to school at UW Superior at different points in time, and we toured the campus. They have a number of new buildings. Actually, that's where I had my camcorder out. I was was uh, getting the whole campus scope. I never watched that that video, um, but. Um, we there there's it's called Enbridge. It's a refinery, a, a, a oil gas refinery. It's very very large. Um, that's why you go to Superior, like the gas price really low. Um, so and it's off. It's not very easy to find. It's kind of off in one area. Um, but there is there's a cemetery um, which is historic because it's they relocated to a Native American uh, cemetery on Wisconsin Point, which is by Lake Superior um, about a hundred years ago. And then they basically just dumped the, the, the remains of these Native Americans at the end of this, this, this cemetery, um, which is terrible. And, and a lot of them, the remains now are starting to wash into, there's a, a river behind the cemetery and then actually the river washes into Lake Superior. So it's, 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 um, but yeah, and no one is taking responsibility to do anything about this. So I, I just wanted to see this location. It was with a marker. 
um, you know, to see where this 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 was, and we we found it. And as we were leaving, we could see this this embrage, you know, these these monster huge white tanks, you know, which house the the fuel and things like that. And my dad said, you know, why don't we why don't we drive down there and check that out? And it's it was a gravel road, and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't I don't know, you know, I'm I'm questioning this because you know. I, I'm guessing there's pretty high security for something like that, and but I went along with it. I was driving, and we we started to go down, and all of a sudden I, I passed a side road, and I could see a, a pickup truck starting to come up the side road toward me. So you know, my first instinct is, ooh, this this isn't good because there's like one road in, and I, I start to get closer to this this um, refinery. And uh, there's there's like a guard post, you know, literally like a military guard post. So thing, you know, bar crossing the road, and there's a um, you know little little hut type thing, and the security guy comes out, you know, clearly. I think he had a rifle, um, uh, wasn't aiming at it at me or anything, but I mean, I think he was. And he, he comes out, and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. Now, I have the camera, I have the camcorder, like, sitting on the seat. And I think I also had my camera, because I wanted to get some pictures of, like, you know, the, the signage um, where this, this you know, Native American burial had had, had been and things like that. Um, but I, so I'm thinking, oh, like, are they thinking we're, we're spies? But I'm, I'm also here, you know, with my dad, who's... 70 you know four whatever it was at the time um so i think yeah that, that's helping me out and um so the guy comes up i roll down the window and i'm like i'm just i said just i went to school my dad and we went to school here just vacationing just looking just seeing what this is and i'm like i totally get that we probably crossed a line although there wasn't any sign that said like do not cross this i mean it wasn't like area 51 in the desert um and i'm like just let me turn around and i'm out of here and and the guy's like yeah okay okay no that's fine so you know he stands out there the whole time and, and doing the little maneuver and i finally you know get out of there and they follow you all the way out and then you know it's fine but that wasn't a good feeling so uh yeah, you know, one of those right off the bat where I'm like, this is a bad, bad idea. So, um, but, you know, yeah, kind of laugh at it right now. Looking at school safety and threat detection, uh, leakage detection, I, I ran, so there's something called a Google Ngram where you can put in a word or multiple words like school detection, threat detection. You, you put a comma after every word or every term you want searched and it'll show you the prevalence of how these things are appearing in in literature now the the weird thing with an ngram is it, it'll go up to 2008 and then it stops and i don't know why it hasn't been updated because it, it's been that way for a while um, but there are certain terms between you know like all the way up to 2008 so I did 2000 and 2008 terms that just completely were flatline across like threat assessment wasn't showing up anymore you know, in, in literature, the word shooter, the word leakage, the word um, detection, the word school. I mean, those were all like straight lines. The only one that started to make an upward climb was threat detection, meaning that 
um, you know, that is showing up more in literature these days. But words like leakage, which is huge when it comes to identifying the early phases of residue or students um, who are contemplating harm to self or others, there wasn't any that there wasn't anything different in 2008 as far as showing up in prevalence in published works versus eight years before in 2000. Um, so it's also fascinating. I did a Google search and I typed in school safety in quotes plus leakage detection in quotes. And the first four responses to that were all pieces, all articles that I had written. <laughs> so um, it's it's alarming just how little is out there about this. And I'm like, hey, this, this is me. Like I'm the guy, I'm the guy that did the first four that showed up here and then after there weren't many at all so um but yeah i mean really really kind of scary stuff so leakage detection is talked about in that in that that psa i mean there's many many signs typically ahead of time before a student um considers uh, you know or, or goes goes ahead with harming self or you know, bringing harm to a school such as an active shooter situation. Things such as post to social media, um, you know, um, writing about it, talking about it with with other students. There's a definite recruitment factor that tries to go on in a lot of cases, you know, trying to get other students to, to go along with it. You're much more likely to carry something out if other people are going to be there with you and they're less likely to back out and you're less likely to back out if you're doing something as a as a group it kind of again gets into that that mob mentality which i had talked about a little bit and it also immediately diffuses um responsibility for the act no matter you know how um you know outrageous the act is it diffuses the responsibility when there's maybe three four five people involved you know versus one person involved i mean we still see it's mostly one person but you'll see these these attempts and when you look at you know terrorism for example you know i think part of the reason terrorism is is you know effective and, and effectively in some areas growing with recruitment is you know you become one of many and then that mom mentality and then also responsibility becomes diffused and then you have an ideology that you're you're subscribing to but um so these things are are out there leakage detection just are are you know are your peers talking about things like this harm to self harm to others um what are they what are they searching are they you know writing about this uh, so those types of things where it's very specific and it's amazing how much of that just gets overlooked on social media and that was an, as evidenced in the psa where um and I won't talk too much about it, you know, because I, I think you should watch it. But actually, uh, the main character in the PSA, which is really then, you know, secondary to the whole thing, is scrolling through his Facebook updates. And, and one of the updates is this this kid showing himself, you know, with pointing a gun at, at the screen. And, you know, he just, you know, goes goes past it. But um, instead of saying, oh, my goodness, like, look at what this, look at what he's doing here. I need to let it, let somebody know about this, like, right now. Um, so what happens? One is we don't, we don't teach students first, what is, what is the normal 
or just like, what do you identify every day as the normal? Describe that to me. Put that into words. Um, find words for that. What is normal? And then um, what isn't normal? And start to show, use things. This video is a great tool of, of them pointing out, of, like, what what's normal? I mean, you encounter it every day, but what what's what's different? Okay, it was like this post by the student on social media, you know, where they had a weapon. Or, you know, this student is, is saying things, you know, like, be better off without me and stuff like that. Um, and it's amazing how much that stuff gets gets just either overlooked or, or downplayed. Um, you need, first of all, a thorough threat assessment system in place that has a robust input component. I've, I've worked with schools that have um, very solid, you know, safety assessment, student assessment teams. And a question I'll ask is, how would a student report this? You know, like if they knew that their friend was posting on, you know, social media or that their friend was talking about, you know, if possibly bringing a gun to school or, or harming others. Well, you know what our expectation, our expectation would be that they would tell an adult. Well, and well, okay, um, that's narrow. You need more than that, such as uh, Sprigia, which is an anonymous reporting uh, system, and you, you you can branch out from there. But it's tell an adult, and that's not always going to 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 work. So, what is your backup system? The other part is how how does a student know that? I ask that. Well, it's in the handbook or something like that. Well, student, you know, how do you know that they've read the handbook or did you go through it with them? Well, no, we didn't. And no, we send the handbook home and the parents expected to go through. If the parent has concerns, you know, this is what they're... And like, you need to be more specific on that. You need to sit down with students and explicitly say, if this is what you are perceiving or that you have a concern, then this is what you do. You contact these people you use this system, you could write an anonymous note and put it here. You immediately tell, you know, your your parent or whatever, but you have these means of input. This is what you do. And if you have this gut feeling, follow it. If something doesn't seem right or something seems unusual with your friend and you're concerned about your friend, uh, for harm to self or others, or not even, you know, your friend, but another student, something you're observing, you have that gut feeling, follow it. Don't suppress it, follow. And I think we have this, this mode of suppressing or this mode of calling woof too many times. Um, like, well, that's just the way that they, they are. Um, well, no, I mean, if they made a post last night, you know, and it's, it's sitting there with a shotgun, you know, saying, boy, this, this, this would be great to make people dance at school, you know, that's that's definitely something that immediately needs to be brought to an adult and brought to authorities. And if you're the adult in this case and someone is bringing that to you, you know, you, you, you know, look at that information, um, immediately invoke whatever your threat assessment system is at your school. And your threat assessment system might say, you know, at step at step one, you know, once, if you look at it and here's this overt threat to harm, then immediately we call our school police liaison officer and the police. Um, and, you know, they, they take over at that point with the student and you have somebody immediately, um, you know, assigned 
who's who's with that student or you get that student separated away from their lock or whatever but um you know you 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 have those those flow charts that work through that and that's something again people threat assessment systems are very inconsistent in schools of what is what's a threat and what isn't a threat and how are you documenting that who's doing the interview what questions are you asking is a motivational interview approach um, is it standardized are you recording that um, are you then also having a procedure that does follow-up such as looking through some of the students materials uh, making sure that they um, you know contacting the parent immediately do they have access to weapons in the home things like that and these things need to happen and they don't always happen there's a there is a, a program Salem Kaiser I think I might have talked about this before um, which you can purchase and there's a there's a number and you can organically create these things too I would uh, you know it's they're, they're not hard to find um, but these leakage detection you know teaching leaking leakage detection for one but then having that threat assessment component to go with it and then identifying your student you know assistant team whether that is you know your counselor social worker psychologist could be principal school police liaison officer and whoever um, and then getting together to work with that student, identifying what the needs are, is it possible, you know, depression, then who are your connections in your greater um, community, greater, you know, county resources that you can help the family get connected with. And something that, that will help that is, it's called a community health needs assessment or the China required under the Affordable Air Care Act. And that will have um, a measurement by hospitals of community needs. And then usually their school representatives, and if they're not school representatives, um, should fight for their place at that, that table for those discussions. And, you know, if we have students or families and, and, you know, we are feeling that there could be these risk factors, how do we make these connections then with the counselors at the hospitals and, and the physicians and the care providers uh, who can jump in and to do a very thorough analysis for threat to harm to self or others. Schools will sometimes do things called, um, or, or they'll do surveys, like called Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which sometimes I'll just talk about in full, but that is not a good means to assess um, whether a student has a mental health concern or not. It's not designed for that. Uh, it's very tricky to do things like that. So I'll, again, I'll talk about how to, at some point, how to formally get into that. Maybe I'll, I'll do that through an interview um, with someone who specializes in that. But that community health needs assessment, you can type in your county or parish or whatever it is where you, you live, your, your local hospitals, and they're all doing this. this. This has been done the last few years under the Affordable Care Act, and these documents will come up, and they're usually very elaborate, and they'll give you this profile of the needs of the community, including the students, and then also there's there's goals and how to uh, the you know the people and how to connect with the resources to I get students the the help that they need related to counseling and also with families and instead of letting those things just just go on and, and just go on. Um, so school connectedness is huge. The CDC in 2009 produced a report on school connectedness 
still relevant today. Uh, I've talked about this a number of times, but getting kids connected to school and getting kids connected to kids, you're going to identify then those changes uh, that that um, changes the, the flux in the system. So what's different from the everyday? You're going to have those bonds with students. Students love bonds with other students. School culture is probably your number one preventive measure when it comes to um, harm, uh, you know, to the harm to self or harm to school. And, and that has been proven in the school connectedness um, report. So a few other things. One is I don't think we do, I, I, I know we don't do enough focus groups. We talked about ISS 24-7 last week, and Scott talking about how they get their users down and they do the focus groups. And what needs to happen is we need to get kids together to talk um, about, um, you know, what makes, what is making the school safe? When do you not feel safe? Um, and, and how do you identify when you don't feel safe because of what another student might be doing because of you know other other physical things going on um you know in the physical environment maybe around the school if that's not if that's not safe you know you don't feel safe walking to school whatever it might be but to have those discussions you will find out so much more from a focus group and even students themselves who feel alienated from school and and starting to feel that you know angry um, maybe not having innate needs met or maybe other, you know, psychological um, things that are manifesting where they're considering harm to, to self or others and some ideology to connect them back into a school system um, where they're having friends and feeling connected and part of teacher. They feel like they have agency and purpose, um, that school isn't boring. They have, a, a you know, they have a task, a job there. They're given rigor. Um, they, again, they have a, they have a purpose. They're they're celebrated for their contributions. So, you know, these aren't all fail states, but these are just obvious ideas. You're going to have students bring that information forward to you to sooner, sooner, especially focus groups. You talk about like social media uh, with with students. You talk about seventh seventh grade students. You talk about social media. What's happening right now? Well for bullying will tell me they'll they'll just you just let them talk they'll talk and what are some of the apps that are you know kids are, are you know you're using right now and, and how is bullying and how are threats and and what would happen if you saw this and do you really know how to report it what could we do better um as a school or what if you had a friend um and, and just kind of let them talk talk through these things and then just their experiences and they might say yeah I, well i see things like this but you know it's just it's so frequent that i don't you know we don't do anything about it um i go back to 1997 in bethel alaska there was a school shooting and 24 students showed up on a mezzanine one with a camera just because they all knew the school shooting was going to happen no one reported it you know and of course one wanted to record it so um leakage detection is absolutely huge um, and we need to spend more time specifically upfront teaching students of how to identify what is different in their environment watching that psa from uh from the sandy hook um, i believe parents called evan you can go online and, and find it and if you look at that from a leakage detection standpoint or 
sense making to look at what are the things that are different in the environment, all of a sudden those things are going to pop out at you that are redundant throughout that video. Um, so I, I really, I commend um, that, that that video was, was assembled. Um, the website is uh, safe to the numeral two safe to tell.org. Um, but it is, it is, it, it was so, um, it, it's just absolutely incredible. It has, I hear over 5.2 million views on YouTube since its publication on, on Friday, shared thousands of times on Facebook. Um, but it's, it's the thing where it raises awareness of your environment. It raises awareness of the environment. The video was put out by Sandy Hook Promise, a nonprofit created by people in Newton, Connecticut, in response to the shooting at Sandy Hook School. So, um, and again, the focus, your focus when you're watching this is likely directed away from the key player of the video. Um, and then the second time you watch it, then you can identify really this, this change from flux of what's going on. But the article here is um, called Don't Just Share the New Sandy Hook PSA, Take Action by Aaron Paul, CUSA, uh, published December 7th, 2016. And it looks like it's uh, the station is www.9news.com where I was able to get this article from. But again, Aaron Paul, KUSA, did this article about the Sandy Hook PSA. So um, I want to thank you for listening to this uh, podcast, podcast number five. So next week, we will be looking forward to Jennifer Fritton talking about her experience um, working as a rescue uh, dog um, professional, her responses to those, and then I'm, we're going to get into also um, the issues that come with that of the self-dispatch, the people who, who, you know, aren't part of a formal organization, but just kind of show up anyway because they pick it up on the scanner. And to differentiate out of, you know, what a service dog is versus a, a rescue dog, guide dog, comfort dog, comfort animal, and, and there's very it's very delineated. Um, and I think those are very important safety things to do, to know that because there can be a workaround sometimes where people will go directly to these organizations instead of going through law enforcement to these organizations. And as I'm thinking about these rescues too, and I'm talking to Jennifer, I said, I just interviewed someone from ISS 24-7. What you're talking about would be a complete, perfect coupling with ISS 24-7 to know identify groups, identify locations, timestamp, what's going on, and so forth. Um, and when we get into this, just for some curiosity, I said, what is, what's, the, what's the main thing right away um, that, that you look for or ask if something happens? And she said, it's, is there water nearby? Because get people by the water before we arrive um, in case someone goes near water. So again, we had looked at, we talked about leakage this week. We talked about this very popular Sandy Hook public service announcement that's out on YouTube called Evan. Please take a look at it. Um, and for the safety doc, um, I want to thank you again for tuning in this week. Stay safe. Continue to um, experience our positive growth here in our changes. Subscribe at Safety PhD. Take care of yourself and 
think about me as I'm hanging those rope lights and uh, trying to keep my fingers from, uh, from getting frostbite here the next few days. So take care. Thank you.